Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The members of the Arizona legislature have more money than expected, but that isn't making crafting a state budget any easier. The legislature is supposed to finish its work in 100 days, but that mark on the calendar has come and gone. The big issue, which often is the hang-up, is the state budget. Lawmakers have billions of extra dollars to work with this year. Last week, Republican leaders introduced a budget in the House that was essentially last year's budget with less than $1 billion additional dollars for inflation and population growth. It didn't touch the $5 billion surplus. What some called the skinny budget failed along bipartisan lines in the House Appropriations Committee. Representative Ben Toma, the House Majority Leader, said first of all, people calling the proposed spending plan the skinny budget are doing it a disservice. It is a little bit non-standard what happened at the time. But I think the first thing that I wanted to say is that that budget is not skinny per se. It's been called that, but it's really not. It's a continuation of our last year's budget, which is the most robust budget the state has ever had. So it's not a skinny budget. That's not fair. It's it's a baseline budget. That's a better way of, of describing it. In, in terms of what happened, you know, remember that the legislature's sole constitutional duty really is to pass a budget, to fund the state. And so, uh, but in order to get there, we have to get 31 members in the House, we have to get 16 in the Senate, and we have to get the governor to do it as well. So while um, while it didn't pass, putting forward the baseline budget was a way to uh, at least move the conversation forward. And in that sense, it, it has had its desired effect. The conversation uh, got uh, a little bit um, more real in every way. It moved the ball forward and it started, uh, it kind of dislodged maybe some of the some of the major issues that we needed to 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 start addressing. When you say it dislodged some of the major issues, some of those issues, it seemed like, were even in the majority Republican Party. This was not a party line vote that it failed along. That's absolutely right. In the five years that I've been here, the budget has been, um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, a, a, a partisan end product in the end. Uh, but there are, this year in particular, there are a couple of very large items that truly still need to be addressed and to fall into place, if you will, before the rest of the budget can fall into place. And those, um, very quickly off the top of my head, I can tell you, one was the the tax policy, the tax, the flat tax, which the courts uh, have now made the right decision on, and uh, that has been largely uh, addressed. And so that now is a very different conversation than it was even uh, even a week ago. Secondly, there is a very big discussion about water, and we realize that long term we need uh, solutions for for water sustainability in the state, especially as we continue to grow. So good news is that we've largely agreed to the actual dollar amounts, which is a pretty significant billion dollars uh, for towards that uh, water authority. But details matter, and so now we're taking the time to uh, to make sure that those details are addressed uh, correctly and, and, and before we pass the final version of that. In addition to that, there's been a pretty robust conversation on school choice and what that looks like in, in the state. In some ways, uh, you mentioned COVID, that has uh, sort of clarified some of those issues and, and parents are, are more interested perhaps now even than they were prior to COVID uh, in, in parental choice. 
and some of the choices that their schools are making. And so the doing something big on, on school choice is, is still definitely part of the conversation on the table. And the final point is um, it's border, the border issues. You know, it, we in many ways uh, do have, uh, are restricted um, on what we can do at the state level that because, the, because immigration enforcement, as you know, is a strictly federal issue, but there are definitely things we can still do and should do to, to help secure the border. I'm, I'm glad the Title 42 isn't going right right away, but it, it will eventually. And, uh, and we definitely need to, to figure out what we can do. We have a surplus for the budget this year. There's also the rainy day fund. Does that make it more difficult because all the members look at that and say, ooh, there's extra money to spend right now? I guess at a very basic level, I would say it's probably true. It does make it more difficult in the sense that if you had nothing to fight over, then you wouldn't fight over it. Um, so having said that, of course, that's an oversimplistic point, and, and I admit that. Um, I, I think it, is, it does make it difficult because different members have different priorities. And remember, this is a deliberative body. We're, we're, not, we're not a body of one. We're a body of 60. Um, and that's why, as I said previously, you got to get the 31, at least in the House, in order to get something moving. And you know, in terms of the surplus itself, I don't think that's such a uh, such a such a bad thing uh, to spend it. The the question becomes, what do you spend it on? And if we're spending it on on wise policies that continue to to make our tax environment better, our our employment environment better, keeps it more friendly for businesses. Uh, in my opinion, I think we should continue to push small businesses, but obviously large businesses as well. Any any sort of business that that is adding revenue to the state, because ultimately that's what that's what we do if we're doing this right. Pushing these policies forward and spending the money on on those types of things is smart. In addition, we have infrastructure needs. To some extent, water is part of that, but not just water. There's roads, uh, I-10 widening. That's a big ticket item uh, from from Phoenix south uh, towards um, towards the Gila River. And that's a big deal. We should have done it before. We're, we're, we're more than likely going to do it this year. And so, and we have partnering, uh, we're going to partner with the federal government to some extent to do that as well, because it is an interstate. So lots of things that make sense to spend money on. Uh, we just got to make sure we do it in such a way that we don't uh, end up hurting our chances in the future when, if and when the inevitable uh, downturn does come. How far apart in reality are Republicans and Democrats on this? For example, infrastructure, the widening of I-10. I've not heard anybody, regardless of what party they're in, argue against that. Is that the reality with most of the budget? And it's really just some big, maybe high profile issues where the parties have differences? You know, the, the, the experience that I've had with uh, the budgets up to this point is, as I've said before, this is a delivery body, you have to get 31, right? And there are things in the budget every year that I really don't like. Uh, and that's true for every member. There are things in the budget that they don't like, but finding that balance, where can you make it acceptable for 31 to get on the same page? And then not just 31, but as I said before, 16 in the Senate and obviously the governor as well. So in terms of how far apart, I think that really does depend on each individual issue. There are certain issues that are not particularly controversial. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of the bills we pass are not controversial. Of course, those don't get any attention. It's only the ones that are controversial that, that, that seem to attract the headlines. But, um, but so that's very true in the context of the budget as well. 
it but remember the budget is a whole it's a package so it's it's not individual bills per se that matter it's the overall package that matters and it's always for each member they have to they have to sort of analyze it on their own and decide do i do i like this more than i hate it um and or dislike perhaps is a better word do i like it more than i dislike it and and then can i vote for it and and that's really a a, a question that each individual member has to make i i do think that there is opportunity especially for for some democrats uh, there's going to be a lot to like uh in, in this budget whether or not they ultimately decide that it's that's enough to, to to merit a yes vote, that's going to be up to each one of them individually. Do you reach out to Democrats either as a caucus or as individuals to get those votes and work with them? So on each individual issue, you know, when you're talking about individual bills, that's definitely something that each member will talk to other members about. And um, and I've talked to Democrats often on on the bills that I've ran. Uh, because um, I, I don't see why we shouldn't. I mean, it is, again, as I said, a deliberative body. That's what we're supposed to do, talk to each other. And and we do that. In, in terms of the budget discussion, remember, my role was majority leader. So I, I, I'm i not the head negotiator, if you will, on the budget. That is generally uh, uh, done by my colleague, uh, Representative Cobb, who's the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, uh, since that, that, that is primarily their role. However, discussions are always happening, our individual items. Break out your crystal ball as we as we get close to May here. How soon do you see a budget getting finished? Because, of course, that opens up a lot of other bills once people know what money is available. So how not only how soon do you see a budget getting finished, but how soon does that final sine die gavel drop? I will tell you that I've been notoriously terrible at predicting these things, so I'm not sure what value I have to add. Uh, however, again, I repeating Pre, what I previously said, I, I do think that uh, that once these big pieces are are finalized, and now that the courts have weighed in on the tax issue, it really comes down to um, the others that are remaining. I think the water issue we're pretty close on, and we have a path forward on um, the 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 school choice one. We've been working furiously to try to get some sort of agreement there. Uh, so once you have those big pieces fall into place, which could happen over the next couple of weeks then uh, I think the rest of the budget could go pretty quickly, maybe even quicker than we expect. That was Arizona House Majority Leader Representative Ben Toma. Not surprisingly, Democrats don't see the budget issues the same way majority Republicans do. Representative Kelly Butler is the ranking Democrat on the House Appropriations Committee. She disagrees with Representative Toma that the first budget proposal shouldn't be called skinny what essentially did was try to just take the same spending and the same amount of spending that we used last year and continue it this year. And then basically ignore these massive budget surpluses that we know we have. So it, it, it used very little of the, of the new sur the new surplus dollars that we have available this year that we know we should be investing. So it was just ignoring kind of the reality of our economic situation and just kind of continuing this austerity budget that we passed, you know, during COVID. So um, in, in my view, it was it was very irresponsible way to conduct a budget. I know some Republicans said this is just a way to get the conversation started and to get the logjam broken. Well, it didn't pass even committee. So obviously the logjam did not get broken. 
I think it made it uh, obvious that there are even the Republican caucus is miles apart on being able to find an agreement. We had, you know, two Republican members who voted no on the budget with all of the Democrats. One of the Republicans voted no because the budget didn't invest enough, especially in education. And the other one voted no because it was too much spending. So, you know, I don't know how the Republicans are going to find the 31 votes in their caucus when it seems like they're very, very far apart. 31 is the magic number to pass. If you take a group of Republicans and a group of Democrats and put them together, you might be able to get something to pass. Have Republicans talked to you at all? Right. A compromise budget, it just it makes so much common sense, doesn't it? And seems like what everyone uh, would want us to be doing. Uh, no, I, I don't believe that those um, that formal negotiations are going on yet. Um, I, I hope that that would occur. I know that there's, you know, there's all kinds of rumors. There's all kinds of individual members, you know, trying to make deals on the side, um, you know, and especially the, you know, a lot of Republicans are reaching out to say, you know, what would you do? But what needs to happen is our leadership needs to get it to the table with the Republican leadership and the Democratic leadership, and they need to hammer out, you know, a compromise budget that everyone can live with. You brought up the surplus. There's not only money in the rainy day fund, but there is an additional surplus on top of that. So what do you, as a member of the Appropriations Committee, want to see that surplus go for? Well, it, it's a great time to be in Arizona. We have, um, you know, our economy is pretty strong with a $5.3 billion surplus and the opportunity now to really evaluate things that we should be investing in. Top of mind is public education. We know that, you know, voters wanted a billion dollars in public education. We know that we have a crisis with teacher pay is the lowest in the country. You know, we have a shortage of teachers because we can't even hire enough to, to be in the classrooms. So I think, you know, putting that billion dollars into education that the voters already asked us to do would be top of mind. But, you know, a, affordable housing is a huge issue for people. We're hearing a lot of people are really struggling and we could be doing a lot to provide rental assistance and to create more affordable housing projects. I'd like to see that. With the one-time money that we have available, billions in one-time money, we could be investing in infrastructure, creating you know roads and bridges, broadband, creating jobs when you build those things, and, and further strengthening our economy. So I, we should be looking at this as a huge opportunity to find common ground and to be investing in things we know that will grow our economy and, and further strengthen our state. You bring up one-time money and also say education. Much of that billion dollars you're talking about going for education, because the surplus is not permanent, would be one-time money. Does that not cause a problem, especially if you're looking at teacher pay, which in three, five years has to continue? Nobody wants a pay cut. Well, you're absolutely right. You can only raise teacher pay with ongoing money, but we have that too. We have over a billion dollars that is projected to be ongoing, just growth in the economy that is intended, that is expected to be permanent. Remember, we have tons of new people moving here in Arizona. You know, we've got a lot. Um, the one-time money is a lot of, of boosted from federal dollars coming into the state, but the, the ongoing money that we could use to invest in permanent things like teacher salaries, that's over a billion dollars. And that's where we should be really thoughtful. One of the areas that we really haven't tapped, we as a state have not tapped in the last two years of this pandemic is the rainy day fund. By definition, when does it start to rain? 
it's hard to imagine that, you know, even that a few years ago when we were, we didn't have this budget surplus situation, we should have been looking at using that to invest in education. I mean, it is, it is absolutely raining when we are last in the country in funding our schools, our public schools and, and our children's future. So, you know, I don't, we don't need to use the rainy day fund now because we have a lot of, of other opportunities, but it's a great time to, to really make those considerations. And, and we are in a, a strong position to do so and to be responsible and use the money that we have to really invest in things that will make a difference down the road. When you're working on the budget as a member of appropriations, how much looking forward do you do? Thinking about, ooh, the economy is up now, but there could be recessions coming. How far forward are you looking on the budget? Well, that's a great question. I mean, we do need to be careful. Obviously, we cannot commit ourselves to to spending that we would not be able to to maintain. And so we look at the budget in you know two and three year cycles uh, to see what what is projected to continue to be um, to be revenue that we can expect. And that's why we talk about ongoing revenue that's going to be permanent versus one time revenue, which is just a bump now. Um, but yes, we we absolutely have to be very careful in budgeting and work with our economists, work with the, the, you know, the finance experts at the Capitol to make sure that we're, we're carefully allocating our money. Okay, it's time to get the crystal ball out. We've passed the 100-day mark of the legislative session. The budget is always the big thing. That's the one thing that must be passed, and it influences so many other things. When do you see sine die, the end of the session, or at least a budget that will lead to that? Great question. I wish I had a crystal ball. You know, if if the if the Republican leadership is willing to to bring Democratic leadership to the table, I think we could do, get this uh, figured out quickly. I the the problem is going to be if they're just going to you know I've been to at the legislature for six years and in all of those years or the other five they've only wanted to work on the and get Republican agreement on the budget. And if they're going to wait for that this year, we may have to cancel all of our vacation plans this summer. Who knows? Um, hopefully we could see bipartisan work. I think that that could could happen hopefully quickly. We'll see. That was Representative Kelly Butler, the ranking Democrat on the Arizona House Appropriations Committee. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we're looking at the Arizona budget and the $5 billion surplus state lawmakers have to work with. But what's behind Arizona's brighter financial picture? To find that answer, AZPM's Andrew Oxford spoke with Jim Rounds, a former budget analyst and economist for the legislature. So it has to do with a couple of different things. The first is the fact that the downturn was very much focused on lower income individuals. Those with making 100,000 or more per household uh, actually did quite well because very few people lost their jobs, but they also benefited from a strong stock market and they benefited from very low borrowing rates. Uh, Also government stimulus packages that went out to individuals. So we went through a period where we had workforce declines in service areas, tourism, the the lower wage sectors. That's where we realized the biggest decline. At that time though, even though we have a huge segment of the higher income people uh, not getting hit that badly from the COVID recession, so they kept spending, we saw a shift from spending on services because we were all holed up in in our homes to goods. 
well, goods are taxed and services are not for the most part. So the state was collecting more money from the fact that we had that shift in, in how we were doing our buying. And then, of course, at the same time, with the Fed lowering the uh, interest rate so low, it was easier for people to uh, buy homes, which put additional strain on the supply and demand uh, imbalance in housing. Strengthening the stock market gave people a feeling of added wealth, so they spent more. Uh, so you have this big chunk of money in the state budget that has to do with this temporary condition. Now, it's not a one-year condition, but it is temporary. We're not going to continue to see these stimulus packages have the same kind of impact as they did, and interest rates are going up, housing's less affordable. So that means that we're going to be in a situation where a decent amount of that annual state budget is going to go away. And we tried to estimate that, and our best guess is about $500 million in the current budget each year is not going to be there after the next downturn which means that the estimates for how much extra money we have in the, the state general fund to be used on you know, all sorts of fun projects probably isn't as robust as what people are calculating. The legislature's Finance Advisory Committee considers a number of different scenarios when they're forecasting and looking at what revenues might be in future years based on, for example, changes in tax policy. What's the scenario we ought to be looking at at this point in time? Uh, we have to be careful because it, it appears that we have billions of extra dollars, but keep in mind that if you go through a recession, and it's a very mild recession, uh, it costs about $2.5 billion to get through that recession without having to do dramatic cuts. If you go through maybe a, a little bit more of a moderate recession, which might be more likely, you need about $3.5 billion. So the first thing is, that's a lot of money. That's going to eat up everything that we're really talking about. So we have to increase the money that goes into the budget stabilization fund, which is our piggy bank to get us through tough times. We only have a billion in it right now. It seems like a lot, but it's not. So we need to raise that to at least a billion and a half. So that takes care of a half a billion right there. When you take a look at the forecast, I think we need to start planning in our longer term numbers the reality that there probably will be a recession by maybe 2024. And what will that look like? And we have to project... Uh, what kind of revenues would be coming in versus what kind of expenditures going to be required based on what decisions that we're making right now. Well, if we have a recession again in a couple of years, we're still going to have strong growth, but we have to start planning for it now because the way lawmakers typically spend money is if it's there, it's spent. And you can't really put $2.5 billion away in the state's rainy day fund to get us through the recession. So you have to be very careful and spend it on one-time items. One of the one-time items that's being discussed is advancing the trigger tax cuts, the 2.5% flat tax that was implemented last year with triggers. We did an analysis, and the triggers are going to happen based on the current revenue projections for the next uh, year and a half. Uh, so that would be one-time money, and that would be, I think it was around $800 million to advance the triggers. Uh, I would be cautious on going below that. There's some interest, and in, instead of putting the money in a set aside in the budget stabilization fund to maybe... Uh, use that to take the 2.5% down to 2.3. Um, that's not really needed. 2.5% uh, is very competitive already. And I would rather see that money be used to get us through the next downturn. So we're not cutting education and distributions to local government entities, higher ed budgets, things like that, because we need to be investing more in those areas to keep the economy moving forward the way that we'd like. So it's really a tale of caution, but we don't have to pull back all the way. There's still money to spend. One of the biggest uh, issues that has to be resolved with the capital, though, is of the monies that are available, there's some interest in putting quite a bit into K-12. 
And the discussion has been recently, we need to put another $900 million in it. And that was based on some of the old Prop 208 calculations. Well, those estimates were off on a long-term basis. It's going to be about $600 million that they would bring in. Uh, we can't afford to pay from the general fund 600 or 900 or whatever dollar amount it would be so that we don't go through another Prop 208 problem later. Um, if we do, we have to go back to our original proposal, what, three years ago, four years ago now, which is to raise the sales tax by four-tenths of a cent, take it up to 6%, and use that money uh, for K-12 if there's interest. But we can't do it just based on cash because, again, a lot of the cash, more than what people are expecting, is indeed one time. So what's the dollar amount we should be working with then? From my perspective, looking at things more holistically, and that would be putting the money aside in the rainy day fund, um, we st- advancing the, the income tax cut, which looks like there's a lot of support for it. So it's not so much about picking a rate. It's more about accounting for it at this time is I think there's probably three or four hundred million dollars extra ongoing that we could spend, uh, certainly not billions. So if we have three or 400, maybe even 500, we can prioritize, we can still set some money aside and we can work with it. But the worst decision would be to spend more than that and then possibly be in a hole in in as little as two years. And it's tough to go through a recession. We have to find cuts everywhere. You can find about a billion in gimmicks, like before when we sold buildings and, you know, we, we, delayed payments from one fiscal year to the next, and then you got to make it up later. It was just an accounting gimmick. Uh, in this case, though, you can find about a billion dollars, uh, which means, you know, please be careful. But picture picture having less than a half a billion, not three or four billion. Not $5.3 billion. Not, not anywhere close to that. Um, that it, it gets back to how they're defining it, what's one time, what's temporary, what's already put in place in terms of the current budget development what's being considered. But I would say they have about a half a billion in flexibility, a little bit less. And those are the real numbers. That was Jim Rounds, the president and CEO of Rounds Consulting Group, talking with AZPM's Andrew Oxford. That interview was originally recorded for AZPM's legislative podcast, Gavel to Gavel, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Samantha Larned is our production assistant, Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.